It's time for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Doug is a certified financial planner, providing you with a personal financial hotline to answer your questions about tax planning, investments, retirement planning, estate planning, and education planning. Doug and Linda are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing financial and investment services since 1983. Doug and Linda will be answering your questions on WPTF's phone lines anytime during the next hour. Call 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Call toll-free 1-800-662-7979. And for mobile phones, it's star 680. And now, Doug and Linda Lewis and Money Matters. Hello there, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters with Doug and Linda has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all of your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 20 years. And again, with me as usual tonight is my wife, Linda, who works with me in our firm, Lewis Financial Management. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. Doug and I are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing investment in financial advice since 1983. For over 20 years, we've been answering your questions on the WPTF phone lines. They are your questions and our answers. So sit back and enjoy, or if you're free, call us tonight on the open lines. We'll take your calls anytime during the next hour. You're free to call in and ask any financial question about your own personal financial planning. Call us at 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Or you can call us toll-free long distance at 1-800-662-7979. Well, financial planning is everyone's business, and still for most folks, money matters are just a big puzzle. Folks have questions about planning for retirement, planning for a child's college education. They don't know the difference between financial planning and money management. They want to know a lot these days. They want to know what's a mutual fund, what's a limited partnership, what's a REIT, What's a will? What's a living will? And yes, it really can confuse you. But you're not alone. Because in a world crowded with new investments, changing tax laws, rapidly evolving insurance products, and volatile economic cycles, more and more people are looking for clear direction in their financial lives. And yet, unfortunately, the busier and the more successful they are, the less time they have to sort out their financial affairs. And people are asking, is there any solution? Well, yes, Doug, there certainly is a solution. Out of this increasingly complicated financial environment has come a new breed of professionals that are trying to solve people's money puzzles. And that's the Certified Financial Planner. It's the certified financial planner who offers something that people don't get from the traditional stockbroker, money manager, accountant, insurance agent, or bank trust officer. And that's a way to consolidate all aspects of people's financial affairs into one financial plan. It's the certified financial planner who knows how to pull together all six areas of a client's financial life. Doug, I think for many people, the first area of financial planning is cash flow planning with questions about their emergency fund, their mortgage, their credit cards, and reducing their debt. Well, yes, Linda, and yet for many people, the second area of financial planning is retirement planning. Those who are working want to know how to compute what they'll need to live on during retirement. 
and how much they should be saving for retirement. They want to know what investments they should choose from the choices in their company's 401k plan. Others are retiring and have received a lump sum payout option from their company's retirement plan, and they want to know, should they take it, and if so, how should they invest it? Well, Doug, the third area of financial planning that must be dealt with is estate planning. For most people, over their working years, their estate has grown. How can they reduce their estate taxes? And they wonder, are their simple wills sufficient, or maybe they should be considering the complicated world of trusts? If that's the third area, Linda, the fourth area of financial planning cannot be overlooked. This is tax planning. People are interested in both tax reduction strategies and tax reduction investments. Home mortgage interest, charitable giving, tax shelters, tax-free bonds, questions about capital gains taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, and how to sell real estate tax-free using trusts. What a confusion. Well, Doug, we can't forget the fifth area of financial planning, which is insurance planning. How much life insurance does a family really need? Do they have too little insurance or maybe too much insurance? Should they have whole life, term, or universal? Should they have long-term nursing care coverage? You're right, Lynn. And, of course, the sixth and most important area of financial planning is investment planning. Here, the questions never stop. What's the best way to diversify my investments? Is now a safe time to invest in stocks? What about bonds? What kind of stock mutual funds? Bond mutual funds, equipment leasing partnerships, REITs, CDs, gold, annuities. So, Doug, it seems that at last it's time for people to understand that a certified financial planner is really the only one who can tie together all six parts of their financial puzzle. And to you out there listening, if you've got a question on your mind about cash flow planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, insurance, or investments, Call us now on the open lines and we'll answer your financial planning questions. Those numbers to call are 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Out of towners, call us toll free at 1-800-662-7979. And if you just want to sit back and listen to the callers through the years, welcome to the show. John, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you? Uh, yeah, Doug, uh, I have some land that's highly appreciated that we're probably selling uh, in the next uh, short time, year or so. And I wonder if you would discuss uh, charitable remainder trust, uh, the pros and cons of uh, putting that land in something like that. Uh, I'll be happy to. Just give me a, a couple of the specifics. Uh, John, uh, first of all, how old are you? I'm 59. 59 years old. And are you married or single? Married. Yes. Married. Do you have children? Yes, I do. Two children. Approximately, what's the value of your estate? Well, uh, the land that we'd be selling would be approximately $750,000. All right. The land itself is $750,000. By the way, is the land owned individually by you or jointly you and your wife or by a corporation? Jointly. All right. Jointly with rights of survivorship. What about the rest of your estate? What's the total of your combined estate? Uh, well, we have some other land that uh, we have a one-third interest in that uh, we might be selling right now, but later on, how interesting that would be approximately uh, 200000 We have a house and lot that's probably uh, another 200000 All right. And, of course, then now what about your investment portfolio and retirement plans? Zero. All right. No personal investments, no retirement plans. Not, none to speak of. Very low amount. All right. So we're looking at just about pretty close to a million two in total estate before we do anything. Mm-hmm. 
Now, what's the basis, the basis for the listener's edification? If you already know, John, the basis is what you paid originally for the land that you want to sell. Well, this came to me, to my family, uh, as a gift, and it was in the family a long, long time, so it has a very low basis. All right. Now, again, for the edification of our listeners, you may already know this, John. If you received it through your family by inheritance, that's one basis. If you received it by gift, that's another basis. The part that we are selling was by gift. All right. That's the, the worst one. <laughs> the remainder that we'll be selling later was inheritance. All right. The basis is what the original purchaser paid for it. And if it was given to you, then that basis carries over from the giver to you. I realize that. That's why I said about it. Right. So you would say what we're talking about, maybe just a negligible amount, ten dollars or $20,000? It probably was worth uh, $50 an acre at the time. And how many acres? Uh, 34. 34 acres. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have a very low basis. Have you made any improvements on the property at all? No. Okay. All right, so maybe we've got, let's say, $5,000 of basis, if you will, and $750,000 of value. So if you go ahead and you sold it for 750000 and you had to subtract the $5,000, you would end up with $745,000 of capital gain to report. So you'd have about $186,000 that you'd have to pay in taxes. You'd end up with about $564,000. That's choice number one. And, of course, the purpose since you have no investment portfolio, the purpose would be to go ahead and to move that into funds that would produce a retirement income for you and your wife. Is that correct? Correct. All right. So we can say in today's market at about a 7% current yield, you might end up with about $39,000 of income per year on that $564,000 portfolio after you'd paid the taxes. In comes the solution, the charitable remainder unit trust. Our number in Raleigh is 872 That's USA 7000. Now, the Charitable Remainder Unit Trust is the most exciting and the most sophisticated, the most dynamic, and the most flexible financial planning tool available today. But it is fraught with a lot of caveats, so you really need to know how to do it right or you don't end up with what you want. First of all, let's think of it conceptually, John. You can go ahead and establish a trust. The box. Right. It's like a box. That's right, Linda. It's just like a box. We set up a box. Okay, it's got nothing in it. It's just a piece of paper that says that such and such a trust is created. And then you write the instructions for John and his wife. Right. Yeah. We set the we put a set of instructions in this box, in this trust that says the trustee, that's the one who runs this trust, will do the following things. Now, we have to remember who are the entities involved here. First, we have the donor. Donor would be you and your wife. The donor is the one who gives something to this trust. Right, so you, the donor, are going to give the deed of this property to this trust. And there'll be a set of instructions that you put in this trust. The trust is also going to have a set of instructions that says, after you and your wife die, what's left in this trust will go to some nonprofit organization. It could be the uh, John and Nancy uh, um, uh, Nonprofit Foundation for the benefit of uh, underprivileged children, it could be for the church, it could be any type of nonprofit, could be university and so forth. But because one day, long time down the road, after you and your wife have died, because you will be making a gift, Uncle Sam considers that any sales occurring inside this trust are tax-free, just as if it was the charity itself making them today. 
So, Doug, essentially what you're saying is that we would take uh, possibly John's 34 acres and put that into the trust. That's right. right. That's Transfer right. that out of John and his wife's estate. Right. And put that in the box. Right. He, in the deed, trust. he deeds it over to the trust. Exactly. And he is making what's called a split interest gift. He is gifting down the road a future interest and a remainder interest. If we think in terms of chickens and eggs, chickens being the principal, eggs being the income, what comes off of the chickens, he's saying, I would like to give away my chickens, but not until after I and my wife have died. I'll keep all the eggs for the rest of our lifetime. John, are you currently employed? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. And and when are you thinking of retiring? Uh, maybe five years. Okay. That works beautifully because yeah, we have excellent. five years. Yeah. Yes. Okay, let's go one step further now. He says in his trust document that he will keep, you, John, will keep all of the income that's generated inside this trust, and you're agreeing to give away the remainder after you and your wife have died. Okay? Any problems so far? No, I understand that. All right. Now, because it's a future interest going to a charitable institution, the entire land worth $750,000 inside the trust can be sold to your buyer for $750,000. Now we've got $750,000 of cash and no taxes to pay, and it's inside the trust, and we go ahead, even if we invest that at the same 7%, we've now got 53000 a year income coming to you and your wife instead of 39000 a year income doing it the other way. Now the key is who runs the show? Who is the trustee? The trustee should be you. You want to make sure that you are the trustee. If you do it through one of the universities here in town or uh, the Cancer Foundation or any charity you want, they will offer you the same arrangement, but they say, we will be the trustee. And that type of charitable remainder trust I do not like because obviously you've got a long time for you and your wife to live and you want to be controlling the investments that happen inside the trust with the $750,000, right? Right. All right. So now what we've done, we've preserved principal, so we've got a much bigger income stream coming to you. Okay, now, the question, of course, comes, what happens after the two of you die? After the two of you die, then the principal, whatever is left in this charitable trust, will go to any a nonprofit institution, charity, or it can go to a foundation which can be directed by your children. But the principal will not go directly to your children. So, in effect, this may or may not be a concern to you, but in effect, this portion has been, you have disinherited your children of this amount. My case, it is a big concern. All right, it's a big concern. Therefore, what we want to do next is we want to go ahead and we want to establish a second trust. That's called the Wealth Replacement Trust. That replaces the wealth that you have moved from your estate. And what you do there, of course, if you're going to put in $750,000 of property into your trust, then you want to buy, you want to set up another trust that owns a $750,000 life insurance policy. Now, this life insurance policy should be a second-to-die policy. The second-to-die policies are cheaper than buying it individually, which means that at the time that after you and your wife have passed away, when your children would have received the estate, instead of getting what's in the trust, the first trust, they get the $750,000 insurance that's in the second trust. Because you are... uh making a future gift, you get a tax deduction today where you could easily accumulate 
two, three, four, five million dollars during your lifetime in this charitable trust, have a larger and larger income stream coming out of it, and be able to lump dip in and take out very large hunks to turn around and gift to your children. You use a small amount of that income to pay for the premium over in the insurance policy, so it's cost you nothing. You have any idea what a what a annual rate would be on that insurance policy? I would really have to go ahead and, and, and look at some tables. It would not be that expensive. We would want to shop around. Whenever I do these, I always look for the cheapest I can get for a client because the goal is really not to build up a lot of cash value in an insurance policy like this, right? Right. The goal is really to pass $750,000 to my kids after my wife and I die, but to give us a bigger and bigger retirement plan inside. Right. Then, of course, the whole key is be your own trustee, work with an investment advisor who is an expert, because you and he together will be handling all the monies inside of this thing, and you can have a win-win-win situation. And then after you've died, you'd like it very possibly to go to a charitable foundation where it can continue to live forever, the foundation's money, and just the income from that can be sprinkled, and your children can be you know, advising, give to this charity, give to this charity, give to that charity, and so forth. And they also got their whole inheritance. The equation is easy enough, right, Doug? It works, but you have to... You have to work with someone that's qualified and able to help you run the numbers and oversee. And you need an administrator. Exactly. An administrator who will go ahead and administer a self-trusted trust. John, if you would like some more information on this, mm-hmm. I'll be happy to either send you some information or discuss it with you further. And you can call me at the office yeah, here me. in Raleigh. And the number is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. And I'll be happy to do what I can to answer your questions. All right. I appreciate it. I'll, All right. I'll be getting into it. Have I answered everything for this evening, uh, John? Yes, yes. I just wanted uh, about what you what you gave, and I'd like to talk to you further about All it. All right. Thank you. Thank you for calling, John. Bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're taking your calls at 680-WPTF. So if you've got a question, call us at 860-9783. If you're out of town, it is toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. Cellular callers, it is star 680. Doug, what's new in the world of investment planning? Maybe you've asked, if I already have a stockbroker, insurance agent, accountant, and attorney, why do I still need a certified financial planner? Basically, there are five important reasons why you need one, or five important things a certified financial planner can do for you. Number one, asset allocation and portfolio management. A certified financial planner has the specific training to pull investment assets together into an organized plan to achieve a client's future financial objectives. Two, risk management or insurance coverages. When does one really need to purchase disability, life, property, and casualty insurance? These are all separate issues, and a certified financial planner can identify an individual's or a business's immediate and future needs for risk management. Number three, tax planning. A certified financial planner can prepare tax strategies for the oversheltered, the undersheltered, or the pre-retiree when a tax situation becomes complex. Number four, retirement and estate planning. A certified financial planner can perform spreadsheet applications for future retirement planning or have the tax knowledge needed when performing estate tax planning for family heirs. Number five, planning for professionals or small business owners. Should my business be formed as a corporation or as a partnership? How much personal liability is involved in operating my business? 
Again, a certified financial planner can steer you through business continuity issues or give advice when integrating the finances of the company and the business owner. Other good reasons you might need a certified financial planner? To plan for college costs, gifting strategies for tax relief, planning for nursing home costs for you or your parents. Recent history has established a track record of an unpredictable Wall Street, complex tax laws, and an onslaught of different financial vehicles. A certified financial planner is skilled in identifying an individual's goals and helping develop, implement, and monitor a plan to achieve them. You need a certified financial planner because a financial future is at stake, and it's yours. If you've been wondering about why you need a certified financial planner, I hope my comments have helped. Seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And remember... Your financial future is at stake. Well, Doug, what's new in the world of tax planning? To most people, income tax planning means gathering W-2s and 1099s and receipts and canceled checks and either filling out the complicated forms or paying for the help of a tax preparer. But that's not income tax planning. That's tax calculating. Tax planning, Lynn, means planning for the year ahead so that you have plenty of time for tax reduction strategies. You need to, in my opinion, see a certified financial planner as early as possible to answer the questions about projected federal and estate tax liabilities, what about withholdings, what about penalties and fines, what about strategies to reduce tax liabilities, uh, what to implement, when to implement, any changes in the tax laws, things like that, Lynn. Well, Doug, you know, I had a caller the other day that sold a business and he was going to have a capital gains problem, and he's a person that needs to do some tax planning, doesn't he? Yes, he definitely does need to do some tax planning. Uh, it may be too late if he's already sold the business. Right, he's already sold it. <laughs> well, then he has to look in the area of tax shelter investments. Exactly, and that's what I was going to ask you. Are tax shelters dead after the 1986 Tax Act? Well, no, they're not, Linda. Uh, tax shelters are not dead. Oil and gas drilling investment tax shelters were left to the individuals, and there were five tax strategies that are still left. Well, Doug, can you maybe explain a little bit better for our listeners what are tax shelter investments and what exactly are these tax shelter strategies that we all can use if they apply? The tax strategies that are available are basically five. First of all, there is timing. Timing of income and expenses so that you pay the lowest total amount over several years. Okay, so the first of our tax planning strategies is timing income and expenses. Right, that's number one. Number two is converting. Converting taxable income to non-taxable income. All right, so number two is converting taxable income. Right. The third one is deferring. Deferring taxes to a subsequent year so that investment returns are earned on a before-tax basis. Okay, and so number three is deferring taxes. That's number three. Number four, diverting. Diverting taxable income to someone in a lower tax bracket, usually children or grandchildren. So number four is diverting taxable income. Right. And number five is deducting. Deducting expenses. Okay, and number five is deducting expenses. Right. Those are the five. Timing, converting, deferring, diverting, and deducting. Okay, let me see if I got this. You said timing income, converting taxable income, deferring taxes, 
diverting taxable income and deducting expenses. Right. The number at our office is 8727000. And if you'll call me at the office, I can send you some information. Well, Doug, what are some examples of timing? Timing, all right. For example, let's say you own an asset which is appreciated in value. You can control when the taxes are realized. For example, you can sell and realize the gain in a year when your income is down and you have a loss or your deductions are higher than usual. Another way is to prepay state and local taxes in a year when income is high or accelerate gifts to your favorite charities. Very often, for example, Linda, someone will go ahead and have to pay their quarterly estimates. Well, they can pay dub- they can double up. Even in the fourth quarter, which you would normally pay in January, pay it in December and get a bigger deduction. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, Doug, what are some examples of converting taxable income? Buying tax-free municipal bonds as opposed to taxable fixed income investments or maybe selling your principal residence. Those are examples of converting. Okay. Very good. Now, what are some examples, Doug, of deferring? Deferring. Let's say investing in your company's 401k plan or your simplified employee pension plan. Those are called SEPs. Or maybe placing money in an individual retirement account, an IRA. But these are all matters of deferring because one day later on when you take that money out of that IRA, then you'll pay taxes on it. So this is deferring the time of paying it. Okay. Doug, can you uh, give us some examples of what diverting taxable income would be? All right. Diverting. Let's say giving investment assets to your children who are over age 13. Children who are over age 13, who are 14 or older, can own investments and the income is taxed at their tax bracket. So you're diverting taxable income to someone in a lower tax bracket. Another way is incorporating your business. All right. So these are examples of diverting. Well, Doug, what are some examples of deductible expenses? Deducting, that was the fifth one. Alimony is the first one we all think about. That's That's deducting. Business expenses are deducting without any limitation if you own a sole proprietorship. State taxes, local taxes are deductions. Property taxes are deductions. Moving expenses are deductions. Medical expenses, mortgage interest, charitable contributions. These are all deductions. Okay, so let's go over this again. So what we've got here is timing. Right. And converting. Right. Deferring. Right. Diverting. Right. And deducting. Right. Those are the five strategies. Well, who's qualified to help you with these strategies? Really, Lynn, any good accountant should be, any good CPA, but I would say mainly a certified financial planner is the person who can work in all of these areas. Unfortunately, most accountants do very little than just account for what you've done after you've done it. There are some top professionals around, but I hear a lot of complaints from clients saying, gee, my accountant just accounts for everything I've done after I've done it. I want some planning ahead of time. Right. As we were discussing this, you were saying that there are tax shelter investments. Investments, right. There are five tax shelter strategies we just reviewed, but the tax shelter investments that are still available, those are oil and gas drilling investments. That can be participating in a limited partnership drilling for oil wells or gas wells anywhere in the United States, and you can get as much as 90% of your investment as a tax deduction, and you can get an unlimited amount of deductions, and this can be done anytime up to the last day of the year. And this is what Uncle Sam allows, right? 
not only allows, encourages. We have a problem trying to find oil and gas. The number at our office is 8727000. And if you'll call me at the office, I can send you some information. And I believe we have another caller. Hi, Kate. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you? Uh, we have been talking to a financial planner, and he has suggested a variable annuity uh, to supplement some of our other retirement investments. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know what your opinion of, of that kind of an investment is. Tell me a little bit about your situation, and maybe I can fine-tune my answer. Okay. How old are you? 59. You're 59 years old. Are you married or single? Married. Married. What's your income? Uh, about nine. Well, now it's very much lower than it used to be. It's about uh, sixty-five thousand a year now. Six, and that's coming from the husband or the wife? The husband. That's coming from the husband. Is the wife getting uh, making? Is she, does she bring any income in? Very small amount. All right. Now, the wife or the husband? Who's fifty-nine? I am. The wife is fifty-nine. How old is the husband? Sixty-one. Husband's sixty-one. And he will be fully retired when he reaches sixty-two. All right. So his income is going to drop next year. Yes. All right. Now, looking at retirement income. Well, first of all, let's well, take. Let Let me back up. His his he's partially retired now, which is why his income has already dropped. All right. But actually, his income should increase when he's totally retired because of the investments we have. Well, I'm going to ask you about that next. Okay. But I want to know about the guaranteed income. Uh-huh. Uh huh. From his pension, and is he going to take early Social Security, or what's he yeah. going to do? Yes. Okay. So, what is the estimated guaranteed income going to be next year when he's sixty-two? Uh, I, I only think in after-tax terms. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I'll give you. All right. It's about fifty thousand a year. All right. So give me about fifty thousand dollars guaranteed, and then what are your living expenses on an annual basis? Uh. I imagine the financial planner went over that in depth with you. You know what? What? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I could do it, but not. To, I'd hold you on the well, phone. Well, I mean, when you met with your financial planner. Didn't you spend a lot of time going over your expenses? No, we didn't. Then you didn't meet with a financial planner. Okay. No, you must have met with a salesperson. Well, actually, it was a salesperson. And okay. He's the one who's trying to sell right. this. Well, we want to be very careful about definitions. You see, uh, we want to find out a financial planner plans, uh-huh. and they and a, a, a true financial planner, a certified financial planner who is charging you a fee for the time you're spending there with them, whether it's an hourly fee or a fixed fee, which is the only kind that you should be seeing, by the way. That kind of planner should start with your living expense needs and then back into the kinds of questions. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. For the moment, let's assume that your expenses are 50000 a year. Well, they're not, but anyway, we'll assume right. that for the okay. exercise. Right. Most people underestimate their expenses uh, you have to build in there your desired number of vacation, uh, travel expenses that many people, many people travel more after they retire. Gifts to the children, uh, clothing, all the other things that happen. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying that you're absolutely sure that his pension, uh, and social security is going to cover, uh, your lifestyle with all the, the, the luxuries that you may or may not want, then you don't need to touch any investment income. Now, if that's the case, let's go over the investments. What do your investments look like right now? Well, our investments look very good. No, I mean, what are they? Oh, what are they? <laughs> They're bonds, uh, mutual funds. All right. How much do you have in bonds? Uh, I'm just looking here because I've got I've got all that written out. Uh, in bonds, mm-hmm. we've got eighty five thousand in one bond fund. We have uh, about. Five thousand, five hundred thousand dollars. 
And what else do you have? Is that main? Is that the main? Is that is that the majority of your portfolio? Mm, uh, no, we've got another uh, fifty-nine thousand. Uh, we have two IRAs. One's eighty-two thousand. The other's forty-nine thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some other stock investments that are around three hundred thousand in various stock stocks. And then my husband's profit sharing, which he owns his own company mm-hmm. at this point, is three hundred and ten thousand. All right, you've got a rather complicated situation when the numbers start building up, and you're, 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 you've got a terrible portfolio. Uh, it looks, it, it just, it, it, it really, I don't like it personally. Okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the air going through each of the items, but overall, it looks to me like my, my real question is, why are you going to, for a, uh, a, a variable annuity? Because a variable annuity, although it will let you defer in I mean defer paying tax on the growth, it's gonna also be taxable in your estate at the time that you die and there'll be no step up in basis. Okay. So well, that's I mean we're we're considering it, but uh, that's why I was calling yeah, for your um, opinion. An, an, too. Annuities you understand a variable annuity is an insurance contract. Right. By the way, which one are you looking at? Uh I'd rather not go into that. Because <laughs> that's the crucial issue. You see, a variable annuity is an insurance contract that wraps around mutual funds. So it's the funds themselves that are the most important part, not the insurance contract. Mm-hmm. Annuities are insurance contracts that work sort of like a non-deductible IRA. Uh, you can put in as much as you want, but taxes are deferred until you take it out. Mm-hmm. Now, you're 59, so you don't have to worry about the 59 penalty. You can start taking money out when you want. But you're paying a charge for an annuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike a fixed annuity, which guarantees a conservative rate of return, a variable annuity lets you pick your own investments from the different menu of mutual funds, but your return is going to vary according you know, to the fund's performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the insurance portion of that variable annuity guarantees that if you die before you start withdrawing the money, then your beneficiaries are going to receive all that you put in, but they will pay tax on the increase, mm-hmm. as opposed to if you have a half a million, how much are you going to put into the variable annuity? What were you thinking of putting in? Two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, so you put in a quarter million dollars, and since you're only fifty nine years old, you're a relatively young woman. Uh, you live another thirty five years, and it grows to be two million dollars. Well, if you add a quarter million dollars in a mutual fund that grew to be a uh, million dollars, let's say two million dollars, and then and you then you then died. They would get that amount. They could sell that two million and pay no capital gains tax. I yeah. think I need to call you off the air. <laughs> yeah, and I and I I, I yeah. appreciate the sensitivity of trying to be specific when when confidentiality sometimes is very important to people. But I hope that gives you at least something to start with. It does. Yeah, uh, and you know, Kate, we're real happy that you and your husband. You know, you're I'm sure you're hardworking people. You've accumulated these assets. You've been blessed, but you want to have some direction, right? Right. So that, you know, whatever his exit strategy is from the business, and, of course, when you all decide you're not going to be working. That's next year. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. When you wanted to, to just be retired and travel and do the things that, that, you, that interest you at this stage of your life, that you'll be able to do it with ease. Mm-hmm. And uh, working with a financial planner, and, and particularly a certified financial planner that's fee-based, can assist you in helping you and your husband get that direction.
Yeah, Kate, if you'll call the office, I'll be happy to go through that in detail. Uh-huh. That number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay. Bye-bye now. Okay, Doug. Mrs. Um, Mrs. R, <laughs> she called in and she had a question about some different investments that they have. And they have a CD, they have an IRA, and they have some stocks with a local firm. And they were told that the firm was insured by the SIPC. What exactly is the SIPC and how much protection does it offer? The SIPC, Linda, that's the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. The SIPC is a nonprofit, private corporation established by Congress to protect securities investors. It does not insure the market value of securities. But it does guarantee that investors will get back any securities or cash held by a brokerage firm that fails. That insurance is limited to $500,000, including $100,000 of cash in each account. Okay. Another question has to do with life insurance. Charles and his wife wanted to know, should they get some life insurance? Should they get some life insurance? (laughs) You need to know an awful lot before somebody says, should I get, you know, lots of times, Linda, people come to my office. There was a lady came to my office. I don't know if you recall her or not. She was a single lady and she was, had never been married, didn't plan to be married. She was already getting up in years and she had life insurance. And I asked her, what was her life insurance for? And she couldn't tell me. And I said, my opinion, you don't need any life insurance. Your death isn't going to cost anybody a loss of income. Was that because she had like some investments and some money that could take care of her final expenses? You mean burying her? Yeah. Well, I basically told her, <laughs> what do you care after you're gone? Let somebody else bury you. But yes, there was plenty of money that she had in her own to pay for her funeral. You only talk about 5000 bucks. I mean, that's not the big issue. There was no one that she needed to support, that whether she was supporting. So why was she buying life insurance? You need life insurance if you want to protect dependents who would suffer financially if you were to die. If you're single... You may not want to buy life insurance now, but if you have children, or if you're married, if you have large obligations such as a mortgage, you should get life insurance. If you have dependents, you'll have to figure out how much your dependents will need to replace your income. That in turn depends on how much life insurance your company gives you and what your dependents can expect from Social Security. One basic rule of thumb that some people use, I'm not sure I, I would I would hang on to it very strongly, but one basic rule is Get a policy that will pay an amount equal to five to eight years of salary. Of course, I know some people have a $300,000 salary, so I'm not sure I would agree with that. That's about the only way I can answer that question without knowing more about her, Linda. Okay, yeah, some specifics, right? Yeah, we have to have some specifics. You can call the office here in Raleigh. That number is 919-USA-7000. That's 919-872-7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. John had a question about selling a stock and making a a $1,000 of profit, and then he was wondering if he buys the stock back with the same money, will he still have to pay the taxes on the (laughs) $1,000? Yes, that's $1,000, and that $1,000 would be called a taxable capital gain. When you make a profit, that's a capital gain. However, the same logic can save you money when you're selling at a loss. Let's say you lost $1,000 in the sale and then repurchased those shares. You could claim the loss for tax purposes. The catch is you have to wait at least 30 days before repurchasing the same shares. That's called the wash sale rule. 
And Linda, you know, very often at the year end, I recommend to clients that they sell one mutual fund that might be down to capture that loss, use it to reduce gains they've had as a tax strategy, and then 30 days later, buy back in the same fund. Yes, that sounds, that's that sounds ex- correct. Well, that's exactly what this is here. That's the wash sale rule and avoiding the wash sale limitations. I find that there's a lot of people that call in that really haven't done any financial planning, so to speak, but they've accumulated a certain amount of wealth. And they own a lot of farmland. Like one individual had like 260 acres of farmland. Another one had roughly about 100 acres of farmland, part of which was inherited. Uh And doesn't that kick up the value of the estate so that there would be the need of insurance or the need of a trust? Could you maybe go through that a little bit? Okay, Linda. Let's say it's a a $2 million estate with a million dollars of farmland in it. Well, that person may not realize that when he and his wife die, there will be taxes, and you have nine months to pay the IRS in cash. You can't pay in dirt. Well, I spoke with someone like that this week, and I was aghast. I went, you know, I was like... So where's the money come from? You have a serious problem here. Where does the money come from? That's exactly right. Therein, very often, is a need for insurance. But one of the real problems is, if you buy that insurance... Who's going to own the policies? It could be on his life or her life. you got to figure out who's going to die first, because if the wrong one dies first, it's then all of, all of the money is back in the estate. The second one dies, now you got to pay taxes on, the, on, on those monies, and, you, and half of the money you got on the insurance goes to Uncle Sam in addition. So it sounds like you need some kind of estate planning strategy that could solve the problem. You need to have, number one, in the case that I gave you, a second-to-die policy. That's a policy that pays at the second death, not the first death, because it's used for estate taxes. Number two, it better not be owned by either of the two because the ownership is what causes it to be taxable in the death of the second one. So we need to set up a trust to own a second-to-die life insurance policy. Okay. Well, that sounds great. To any of our listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. Well, what's new, Doug, in the area of tax planning? Here's a tax tip that you might want to pay some attention to. What's happened, for example? Let's say that you're in XYZ Mutual Fund, and it's down 30% this year. And let's say that you're in a family of funds, Okay. This is the best position you might be able to be in, and I have recommended this for several clients recently, and here's why. If you're in a family of funds, and let's say that your $25,000 investment's only worth about you know, $18,000 right now, and you're groaning. On the other hand, you're afraid to sell the thing because you think that it's going to come back one day, and I think it may, depending on the fund and the manager and so on. Here's what you can do. Sell it, but don't take possession of it. Move it from your stock fund over to the money market fund in that family. Now, you can do this even if it's a commission fund with no commission charges. Then what you've done is you have triggered a taxable event. So now you move it from your stock fund over to your money market fund, and you have now captured, let's say, $8,000 of losses that you can use on your tax return. I'll talk about that in a second. But once you've captured that, you can buy that fund back again. And if you're in a family of funds, even a loaded family, you can buy it back with no commission charges. 
The rules of the game are the IRS says you got to wait 31 days before you buy it back. So sell it now, capture the losses, and then buy it back again 31 days. And you got your mutual fund back, and you also got $8,000 of tax losses you can use. What's the trick there? The trick is they're called capital losses. You can use those capital losses that you've now captured against any capital gains. So if you happen to have $8,000 of capital gains this year, you've got $8,000 tax-free that you just yielded. And if you have a further question that uh, we are not able to answer here on the air, you can call us at the office at area code 919-872-7000. That's 872-7000. Let's take another caller, Doug. Dan, this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. How can I help you this evening? Hi, Doug. I'd like to uh, ask you about reverse annuity mortgages. I'm doing some All right. inquiries for a father-in-law. Go ahead. Um, he is getting in some financial difficulty, and he and his wife, uh, their health is starting to decline, and they just need uh, right. a little extra help. I've, I've spoken with Linda a couple times, uh, and she's, she's referred me to some good books and like that, but I just came across this the other day, and would like to know what you know about it or what you can tell me or well, how you feel about them. Well, I think they're great. They're fantastic. I just did one for a client recently. She was 72 years old, and we just got a reverse annuity mortgage for her. For the sake of the listening public, the reverse annuity mortgage is a guaranteed government program that works backwards from a mortgage. A mortgage is where you borrow money from the bank, and you then have that money, and you start making payments to the bank to repay your loan, whether it's 30 years or 15 years or whatever. A reverse annuity mortgage is a program in which instead of you paying the bank, the bank pays you. And it's designed as a federal program to help senior citizens. You do not have to have any income qualifications to qualify for it. It's not for poor people. It's for anyone who is over, what's the age, Linda? Is it 65? I believe you have to be 65 or older. I think the age limit is 65 is the first qualification. Second qualification is you have to own your own home, debt-free, can't have a mortgage on it. And the third thing is, uh, basically, you have your, well, that's really all you've got to do. Uh, now there's a computation and a method of computation that works in such a way that you go and see a counselor. The counselor, by the way, is not going to approve or disapprove you. The counselor has no control over you, but the counselor is basically, uh, going to let you know that if you want to tap the equity in your home, if you want to go ahead and take out one of these reverse annuity mortgages, then the bank will start paying you payments for the rest of your life. You never have to pay that loan back. Okay, what happens at the end? At the at the end of what? When you die? End, yeah, when I die. When you die, then the bank is going to go ahead and collect what you've borrowed because that's what's happened. You've been borrowing from the bank, but the bank hasn't been uh, making you pay them back. They will wait until you die, then they'll sell the house, or they'll let your heirs sell the house, and they will subtract what's been sent to you, and then if there's anything left over, that goes to the heirs. If there's nothing left over, then the bank lost, and you, the estate doesn't have to pay anything. He also owns another piece of property. Would it be, um, could he do something like go borrow money against the land? He's sort of real estate rich and, and cash poor. Why didn't he sell the land? Um, that is being considered. Um, How much is the land worth? Uh, tax value on it's 
just over a hundred thousand um, dollars. Oh my goodness, that's seven thousand a year income on a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but if, but if he sells it now, uh-huh. what, isn't he going to get really popped for taxes? Depends. What's the cost basis? How much did he pay for it? Nothing. He inherited. Well, then what he wants to do is to go ahead and do a charitable trust and dump it into a charitable trust, have the charitable trust sell it tax free, and then the hundred thousand sits in the trust, make himself the trustee of the trust. He controls it, and then. The cash will flow back to him. He invests the money inside the trust, makes himself the income beneficiary, and he controls everything and pays no taxes. I was doing one of those today for a client, as a matter of fact. And if you'd like any further information, you can call at the office at 8727000, If you'd like to go ahead, I think you say you've already called Linda at the office? Yes, sir. Uh, why don't you call her again this week and set up an appointment, and I'll be happy to go ahead and uh, meet with you and go over the different features on both the land and on the reverse annuity mortgage. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks for calling, Dan. Bye. Bye-bye now. Dan brought up two very interesting topics, Linda. One, very few people know anything about the RAMs, the reverse annuity mortgages for senior citizens. They're very exciting programs. Yes, we have a client that did that, and she's got more cash in her, her pocket now. Because it's nice getting a monthly check every exactly. month. Exactly. It's like an annuity, right? Right. And number two, he talked about how to sell land tax-free. A lot of people in North Carolina own a lot of property and and know they need income, but they can't think of selling it because of the capital gains tax. Uh And so doing that through the charitable trust or the double trust strategy is ideal. Well, Doug, what's new in the area of retirement planning? Well, Linda, millionaires are sweating retirement as much as anybody and that's according to some survey recently done by very wealthy Americans, which showed that the wealthiest 1% of all Americans have the greatest fear that they won't have enough money in retirement. And, you know, essentially, everyone that's working is going to face retirement down the road. But the biggest worry that these folks have is that inflation will erode their retirement income, forcing them to reduce their standard of living. Right? That's right. You know, Lynn... The wealthy have good reason to be concerned because most of the 150 people that were surveyed have invested more than 40% of their savings in fixed income investments like bonds and cash, and that's not going to earn enough to meet their goals. In other words, these wealthy people who are concerned about their future, they're right. They're not going to make it. And that leaves them basically with three choices, either to shift some savings to stocks and stock mutual funds, or to save more, or just to lower their expectations. And, um, you know, I guess some other findings are that wealthy people over age 50 are more likely to fall short of their retirement goals. Uh, the survey says that they want an average $218,000 a year, right? But their portfolios will only produce about 126000 Isn't that something? Only half of what they need is going to be able to be met. And the wealthiest, 32% of Americans, I... Uh, They've got about a third of their retirement savings in stocks, 24% in bonds, and about 18% in cash. They've got a little bit in real estate, a little bit in other things like private businesses. But they've got problems also, Linda, because uh, they just don't know where it's all headed. But knowing all of these statistics, Linda, what's the answer? Well, I guess the bottom line is you have to have goals. And, you know... There are a lot of people out there, but I don't think anyone has more money than goals. And you have to have goals. You have to have a direction in which you're going, right? You know, it's a funny thing. It almost sounds like a platitude, what you're saying, Linda. But strangely enough, in in my practice, 
I sit down with people and I spend maybe anywhere over three, four, five sessions. Who knows? It might be 15 or 25 hours with them and, and realize they have not crystallized their goals. They don't know what their goals are. And the wealthy are even more concerned. I mean, are a bigger problem. They just don't know their goals. I can think of a couple I met with recently, Linda, and I did a, a long involved financial plan on them. That number at the office, by the way, is 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000. But although we dealt with their investments and their retirement and their estate and their insurance and their uh, um, cash flow and their income taxes, I dealt with all of these areas separately. But you want to take a guess where we spent the most time? In the goal section, they could not agree, especially he and she. He had one set of goals. No, she had one set of goals. He had another set of goals. But he he wasn't quite sure what his goals were. And the more I got into her goals, she wasn't sure. And really, the the solution to the dilemma, to the distress, and by the way, in their case, it was even causing some uh, bitterness in the marriage, was to need to go ahead and uh, or stress is to... Get the goals crystallized. Get the goals in front of you so you can tackle them and solve them. The whole question is working with a financial planner to uh, list the goals and know that they are going to be met. Yeah, identify the goals because you probably, most people think about different things when it comes to money. And if you're, if you're like the average person who works hard, accumulates, particularly for people that, that have accumulated, then the dilemma is, okay, are we going to just do this until we drop? Or do we have some goals in mind as to when we're going to retire and how do we reach those goals, right? Right. Well, I think for most people, Doug, uh, anyone that's invested in different vehicles needs to sometimes stand back and just take a look at where are they and what do they have and what's it doing for them and should they make change, right? With regard to investment portfolios, the biggest problem is that there is no asset allocation pattern established on people's portfolios. I look at their portfolios when they come to see me, and I say, why do you have this? And say, I don't know. My stockbroker read, uh, recommended Why do you have that? Oh, I don't know. I just got it. Why? And there's no overall pattern controlling the uh, the investment decisions in the investment portfolio, and that's called an asset allocation pattern. Without one, I think it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, people people should uh, certainly have goals in mind, and if they're working with an advisor, they should have a comfort level that what they're being advised about is to their advantage. Uh, don't just walk in the dark. Right. And if we can be of more assistance to you, you can call me at the office during the week, and the number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Well, that's all the money matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. 
Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 6.05 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.